So I guess we're starting, right? So welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Yes, welcome. I am the Duke. And I'm Liz. Ah, yeah! (laughs) I got it. (laughs) I got it. See, last episode you didn't have a name. It's true. You had a title. But you promised to call me the Duchess later, so. Oh, that's true. That's true. (laughs) So welcome to the inaugural edition. This is episode one of the Duke and Duchess podcast. Um, we are going to be covering chapters one through six of Patrick Rothfuss' Name of the Wind, novel one in the King Killer Chronicles, right? Did I do that right? Sort of, basically. Okay. <laughs> well, bring it, bring it heavy with the criticism. This is how we roll. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I thought I'd start with a confession. Go ahead. Yeah. So this is, and this is 100% true, though I've never told you this before. Nice. Because it's kind, of, it's kind of dorky. But every time, and this is the, this is now my, my fourth or fifth time through these books, I can't remember. Every time I start this book, I read the prologue out loud to myself. Really? Every time. I, I don't, I don't see how you can not. I mean, the, the prose good. is just, it's just beautiful. I don't know if you remember the first time I picked this book up. Uh, what was it, a few years ago? Yeah. And we were upstairs, and you were trying to read Dune, and I was like, read this now. I do remember you that. You remember that. I was like, and back like, away from me. You're like, okay, it's great, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, uh, it just uh, it's 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 just um, draws you right into the story. Um, I, I love the words he uses. I, I love his writing style. Um, and, and the silence of three parts. I mean, I just I just want to read it over and over. It It, it is good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It reminds me a little bit, and, and I don't mean this in a negative way, it reminds me a little bit of Wheel of Time and how the Wheel of Time prologues begin and they talk about the turning of the wheel. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that's one of the parts of those books I actually kind of enjoy, not the prologues in general, but mm-hmm. the way they kind of always start the same way right. is, is a device I enjoy. So, yeah. So right from the beginning, good stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah, good, good stuff right from the beginning. So we we, we do want to talk about spoilers. So um, one of the things we want to make clear is that while, as Liz has mentioned, she has read this four or five times or something along those lines, I have never read these books at all. Don't really know anything about them. So I've read chapters one through six. Uh, to get ready for this podcast, and that is all I have read. So this will be kind of spoiler-free as we go through the books, uh, and we'll get a chance to see just how wrong I am about some of my initial impressions. <laughs> Can't wait. It should be fun. <laughs> for other people, it should be fun. So um, I do want to talk about from the beginning what we're going to cover next week. So that people can be prepared for it. So you want, you're going ahead and kind of scouting through the book. So what are we going to read next week? So next week we are going to go ahead and cover chapters seven through thirteen. Um, and, and what I've done is kind of go through the book a little and look at uh, places where the story has a has a natural break or or place where I, I think and it, and generally it's been about. 50 pages or so every 50 pages mm. or so we I've, I found a spot where because um, and if you've read this book you know that 
um, some of the chapters are one page, some are three paragraphs, some are, are much longer. So, yeah. um, and, and I really love that about this book. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of going by, by number of chapters, we're kind of going by, by plot breaks. Yeah. And it, it's good because from what I've seen, you know, the chapters we've read, the first chapter is fairly long, um, which is not, not unusual. Um, but the, the other, the other five are fairly short. So, um, it kind of keeps things moving along. And, and when you have fairly short chapters overall, you can do that. Whereas, you know, with some of the other series that we like, a, a chapter might be 30 or 40 pages. You, you know, you really can't, you can't quite do that in, in a book like that. So yeah, so this works out well. So this works out well. All right. So, so chapter one. So after this excited? really epic prologue, um, we we open up at the Waystone Inn, mm-hmm. and we open up with a, a group of people uh, standing around telling a story. Mm-hmm. Old um, Cobb. Old Cobb, yes. Standing around telling a story about Taborlin the Great. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, what I really enjoy about um, Patrick Rothfuss's writing is nothing's thrown away. Um, there's not a lot of like backstory for the sake of backstory. It's, it's, everything is meaningful. So, um, so, so, so yeah. what you're telling me is that Taverlin's important. Everything's important. <laughs> um, yes, I'm not but looking again, for spoilers, but I can't help it. I, I know. I know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm trying to, oh, I'm holding, I'm just holding back. <laughs> yes. Everything's important. But um, but I really like the stage that he sets here. The stage of this um, this rural town mm-hmm. yeah. um, where everyone has grown up and sort of known each other their whole lives. So we've got old Cobb here. We've got uh, Shep and the the Smith's Prentice. And who they um, call boy? Boy, yes. Which and, I, I enjoyed that part about. And he'll be boy until he black bloody someone's nose about the issue. Right, and I, I particularly liked this line. Uh, the Smith's Prentice had lived here since he was 11, and he was still referred to as that Rannish boy, as if Rannish were some foreign country and not a town less than 30 miles away. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of the stage that we're set, um, of, of this small town and, mm-hmm. and the people that are living in it, but all likable characters. Jake's you know. not particularly likable. Which one? Jake, he's not particularly likable. Give him time. He'll... Okay. okay. <laughs> He's not that bad once you get used to him. Okay, well, yeah, you could say that about a lot of people. <laughs> but so yes, they're all they're all sitting around, and it's a this is a, a very um, a familiar trope if you're a fantasy um, fan of, of men sitting around drinking and telling stories of, yeah, of yeah. great music, musicians. And and until somebody walks in the room with a gun, right? Or Carter walks in the room all cut up carrying a bundle with a very, very nasty creature inside of it. It's got a giant spider. The size of a wagon wheel. The size of a wagon wheel. I don't know how big that is, but it's probably big. I would say it's pretty big. And so, you know, if you know me, spiders are definitely um, my Enemy number one? (laughs) Yes, enemy number one, my arch nemesis. Is definitely some kind of arachnid out there. Something on eight legs for yes, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So. So they got you right from the beginning. Yeah, gi- absolutely. Giant razor leg spider. I terrifying. was. I was impressed with the fact that the it doesn't have insides. It's just like a weird gelatinous goo. Yes. Which to me speaks of some sort of 
some sort of mythical evil or intelligence beyond these spiders that's driving it. Just a guess. But, uh, you know, that I found that to be pretty important. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it means nothing at all. No, I, I think I think that's probably a, a good observation. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously this is not a a normal creature. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so we find out Carter ran into this with the horse and the horse fell on it. And so that's how he managed to, you know, to, to escape that. And it becomes obvious that Cote, I think that's where we're going to pronounce it, right? That's how we're, that's what we're going that's with. That's what we're going yeah. with. Yeah. Until, until we get a TV show which tells us otherwise, we're going with Cote. Um, it's obvious, you know, to the reader's perspective that he knows more about this than he's letting on, but he's not... He's not uh, betraying that information to the other the other men in the room. So, and just to back up, Cote is the the innkeeper. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked about him yet, but obviously, um, he was introduced in the prologue as um, the owner of the greatest silence. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, he's an innkeeper that uh, there's more to him than meets the eye. That's that's mm-hmm. established. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty clearly well. from from the beginning. Yeah, they don't really try to keep his identity very secret. Yes, that's, that's you know true. they they yeah. make it they make it pretty obvious who he is. Um, and so my favorite character in chapter one, uh, the person who gets my award is Crazy Martin. Crazy Martin, who is my favorite character, because a man who digs a well inside of his own house. <laughs> I feel like there's more to Crazy Martin than just a throwaway reference in in chapter one. I I like where that's going. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. So, and we also get um, is it this chapter or the next one that we get introduced to Bast? Uh, Bast, I believe, comes in the next chapter. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and talk about the next chapter. Let's let's bring it on. So yes, Bast. I I, I love this character. Mm-hmm. Um. I I think um, oh no actually hold on a second the next chapter we actually meet Chronicler ah okay we so we jump over and we meet a new character um, Chronicler is a, a dude who's just schlepping along down the road with oh. some ink and pens and mm-hmm. and a and a barely you know barely rideable horse uh, and, and a loaf of stale bread and he gets robbed by. Some ex-soldiers, which the first time I read these chapters twice um, because I couldn't quite move ahead yet, and that was frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I read through them twice, and I didn't catch the first time that the people who were robbing him were ex-soldiers. Yes. Um, I took them to be soldiers, and that was a mm-hmm. little bit disheartening. And I thought, well, I guess, you know, I guess if they're taking stuff away from you, they're robbers no matter what. Right. Um, and then the line where the captain or, or the head of the robbers— um, so, you know, says the king is the king's army is paying good money for anything on four legs. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, I guess that's it's time of war. They're just going to take his stuff because mm-hmm. they need it, you know. But then that was interesting because there's been no reference uh, to this point of any kind of greater political conflict or anything like that. We don't yet have a sense of, or I don't anyway, have a sense of what's going on in the greater landscape and. If there's really a war going on, and why would they be paying good money for anything on four legs? Because, you know, if you really demand, if you're really in demand of horses, then it seems like there would be a war. But this seems like it's not an area that has really been touched by war. So, 
So obviously, you know, we're in the very beginning stages, more to come. Mm -hmm. But that was just sort of the questions that I kind of was left with after reading that that chapter. Right. And I think looking kind of looking um, back through chapter one and you you look at kind of the throwaway comments that some of the the uh, local people are are talking about times being what they are. Yeah. Times being hard. Being taxed three times. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you get the sense that there is some kind of greater conflict going on, mm-hmm. but that with these kind of simpler people, they they don't see themselves as a part of it. They don't quite have the details yeah. as to what's going on. It reminds me um, a little bit of the Two Rivers in Wheel of Time. A little yes, bit. You know, yes. Not that not that these two books are the only ones with this kind of trope in it. it right. You know, I guess you could say it goes back to you know it goes back to Hobbiton too. Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and probably before that that we just don't know about as yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sets a familiar scene if you've read fantasy novels yeah, before. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and looking back, actually, you do meet Bast in the first chapter, okay. but kind of in the same chunk here. Yeah. So let's talk about him for a minute. Okay. Because um, I and then I, I want to like, go back to the chronicler. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Bast is obviously. I, I feel like he seems to be another one who there's more to him than meets the eye, but you don't quite know what's going on. But yeah. he obviously lives with um, Kote and calls him Reshi mm-hmm. and sort of a. a and we don't steward, know what that means. But we yet. don't know what that means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, there's obviously a, a special relationship there. Um, yeah, and you don't get a lot of physical description of him, or at least I I don't recall it. Um, believe it's it, she's it's described as dark haired and and charming yeah um, he's obviously as we will learn later i mean not we're not we're not going to refrain from spoilers from chapter six but um but um he's obviously very very strong which we learn later as well which right. i'm sure there's a reason for that or something that'll come up come up, up something that'll come from that Any more about Bastard? We want to go back to Chronicler. Or? No, yeah, talk about Chronicler. So the thing, the thing I liked about Chapter Two is just kind of how it ends. So you walk, you know, it's this guy who's walking along, he gets robbed. You know, it's a very civil robbery, and mm-hmm. he's just kind of like, "All right, fine." He gives the guys a little bit of grief, mm-hmm. but for the most part, he just kind of rolls with it. And then as soon as they're gone, you know, you realize that this guy's been through this a hundred times. You know, he, he knows the exact, you know, he's got money hidden all over him, you know, baked into the stale loaf of bread, hidden in an ink bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, he just knows exactly how to deal with these situations to give them just the right amount of money so they don't get angry, mm-hmm. you know, and this is just kind of part of the business for him, you mm-hmm. know. And, and so right away you're like, all right, well, this this guy is clearly pretty clever, mm-hmm. you know, and pretty, you know, he's been around for quite a while. So mm-hmm. I liked that piece of characterization of how they kind of put him in that situation i thought that was clever i agree and i i think um that's something i really like about um, patrick rothfuss's writing is his ability to kind of create a character in a in a short uh yeah. amount of storytelling and um, really give you a, a feel for for who they are and what they're about and and create kind of an, a unique character even though um, like we've said there's been a lot of familiar um a familiar feel to a lot of them, mm-hmm. but they're also um, kind of unique. Yeah, and we don't at this point know who Chronicler is and what his tie into the story is, but obviously we're going to find out very soon. So, chap- yeah, so chapter three, yeah, yeah, chapter. So chapter three, um, we we get another piece to Kote in that um, apparently he's got a sword. Yeah, and and it's not the Smith; it's somebody else who brings it in. 
um, on this very, very dense black wood. Mm -hmm. And it has the word folly written on Mm -hmm. it. And then he hangs it up over the bar. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that Bass is like, you're really, you're really going to put that there. (laughs) Right. You know, out here in the open for everybody to see. Right. You know. Um, and then we have the moment uh, not too long after that where all the travelers come in. Yes. You know, it's a caravan, I guess, a wagon train or something, and um, a couple guards, a tinker. Um, I liked the tinker. Like, the tinker was my favorite character in Chapter 3. Who doesn't like a tinker? I mean, Who doesn't like a good tinker? You have to like a good tinker. A good tinkering is, you know, Indeed. what you need late, Saturday, late on a Saturday night. Indeed. <laughs> I liked how he went out into the street and just started, you know, kind of peddling his wares. And I thought it was, uh, I like the Tinker character. And and so, and, and now back to the, the sword, did you catch that the, the wood that it was mounted on um, sounded very similar to the wood in the chest that Cote has in his room? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't catch that. Yeah. So they, they describe, I believe, the chest in his room where he, he sits mm-hmm. and kind of stares at it. Being dark wood. Yeah, dark I do wood. remember do him. Remember I do part? remember that part. I didn't catch that they were the same type of wood. And then, uh, and then, yes, Graham, the the the. the oh, um, Graham was the one who brought it in. Okay, all right. right. Okay, and uh, he talks about how hard the wood was to cut and burn and and find even and find. Yeah, so. yeah. No, that that part definitely. And you know, it's funny you say that, and it's just now becoming apparent to me that that's not the only place where the type of wood has held some importance because when he talks about burning fires later, you know, the type of wood that you use to make the fire with is very important. Yes. Or at least, at least the legends would tell you it's important whether it actually is or not. We don't, we're not a hundred percent clear, but, um, but Cote seems to think it is because he takes the measures to make sure he's using the right thing. So, so it sounds like there might be some importance there that I'll I'll hold on to and pay attention to. Yep. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not awkward. <laughs> not even a little. Can you tell we're new at this? No. We're still trying to figure this out. No. All right, so Cody's got a, a sword hanging over his bar and mm-hmm. um Now, it says folly. So that reminds me of the like, it just sort of, it just sort of smacks of the barkeep who like, you know, keeps a hammer right underneath the bar or puts a, puts a baseball bat like up behind the bar where everybody can see it, you know, and names it attitude adjuster. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what it smacks up to me. You name (laughs) it folly, like, you know, if I'm coming into that inn and I don't know anything about what's going on, I'm thinking, all right, if. If things get a little too silly up in this place, somebody's mm-hmm. going to lose a hand. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that's not what that actually means. I, you know, I can tell from the text that it, it has a very different meaning than that. Right. But just coming to it from the outside, that's what it looks like to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I guess this guy's trying to tell me to behave. Yeah. So I think a, a couple other things of note happen in this chapter. And one, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read and, and, um, there's a there's a group of children outside singing and mm-hmm. I think their song ends up this is one of the parts where I later in the book ended up turning back to so I'm going to read it out loud so okay. we can talk about it now but the the children's song that he talks about um says when the hearth fire turns to blue what to do what to do run outside run and hide 
When his eyes are black as crow, where to go, where to go, near and far, here they are. See a man without a face, move like ghosts from place to place. What's their plan? What's their plan? Chandrian, Chandrian. And you can tell from even the chapters that, that you've read that some of that, you know, and, and I think later on, um, there's a character who talks about the truth that's found in children's songs. So that definitely... Yeah, Kote said, says that specifically, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and even in chapter one, they say the word Chandrian. Right. And he talks about a fire turning blue. Or, yes. Um, so obviously this holds some degree of importance, and uh, I think they call them demons in chapter one, and mm-hmm. then, you know, we get some talk. We, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about, about that later. But yeah, clearly there's some importance to that. It reminds me... Oh, what are the ones the the ones from Wheel of Time that that don't have eyes? What am I thinking of? Okay, anyway, who it reminds me of is the White Walkers. Um, yeah, I can see bit. that. I can see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see that. Especially how it impacts environmental things around them when they're in the when they come around. Yes, you know which the White Walkers would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. Okay, so we've got the the children's song, which you know, kind of like put a mental pin in that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm um, pretty sure when you you call something Chandrian and talk about light turning blue around it, it's probably never going to come up again. It's kind of the big bad, like the big bads <laughs> being, yeah, introduced early. It's on. Chekhov's weird name monster. Exactly. <laughs> um. So then, the, like you mentioned, the travelers come in, and one mm. of them recognizes. Cote, mm. but calls him a different name and um, seems to think that he is some kind of legendary uh, figure um, uh, mm-hmm. named Quoth. Yeah. And um, Cote goes through some very clever um, subterfuge to escape that situation mm-hmm. and, and attract. Which makes it attention. 100% apparent if you weren't already aware at this point that he definitely is. He definitely is. is. Definitely is. Yeah. Like get him a t-shirt with that name on it. Obviously yeah. this is. Uh, Can I get that t-shirt? That sounds like an awesome t-shirt. <laughs> I'll make you one. We need sure. to make that t-shirt. <laughs> get that on Cafe Press right now. <laughs> My name is definitely not Quoth. <laughs> yeah. It's pronounced Quoth, <laughs> not Kavothe. <laughs> you have to put that on the back somewhere. It's a very interesting. Uh, many the many different ways that that name has been pronounced. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm so sure. I'm sure. I, I I'm still struggling with that. I am a little. So in your head, when you first read it, what did what? How did you pronounce it? Kavothe. Me too. Yeah, me yeah. too. Kavothe. Kavothe. But some some dude it. named Patrick. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure this is how you pronounce it, bro. I know, right? So I guess... I guess we'll listen to him. I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> so yeah, so the guy recognizes him. What I thought was interesting about that um, mm-hmm. is, or, or what I remember kind of standing out to me, is he talks about um, how he killed somebody. He was there, and he saw it, or saw where it was anyway, and how he says, you know, the rocks there are shattered, and nobody can repair them. That just kind of stood out to me. And then something happens in chapter six that um, I only read chapter six once um, that I was not 100% clear of, but it seems to me like there's something going on there. We'll talk more about that. Right, so obviously get you get the sense that who whoever he is, um, this um, 
in his 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 real nature he's mm-hmm. very he's very powerful yeah and i also think um you you just begin to see the relationship between um quote or quote and bast kind of develop a little yeah, yeah um in that you know bat when bast after bast helps him upstairs and and this line in particular um that there was no one around to notice the difference no one except bast who watched his master and worried and waited so mm-hmm. yeah. there's a there's a bit of a, a student teacher relationship, but also a caretaking relationship, I think, that goes both ways there. Um Yeah, yeah. And you definitely get more of that later as well. Um this is the point where I, I think I realized if the weird spiders with no organs inside of them wasn't the clue, it's like now we're in a fantasy novel. Right. Know? Now we're in a fantasy novel. Because yes. I really thought we were gonna be reading about like Superman just the Clark Kent stuff. Right. <laughs> it was like historical fiction, like in a made-up land. But I guess I guess that's not where this is going. Right. Obviously, there's going to be some more. I totally stole that from Impractical Jokers, by the way. Okay. Well, you have to give credit where credit is due. Exactly. I'm not going to claim that as my Sal own. Sal going to come after you. <laughs> he might. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, but it's an interesting distinction to make because you certainly have fantasy novels with very, very little magic. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at, compare... Um, uh, Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, um, very grounded, very real world. Um, yeah. they, they talk about magic, but it's, it's a very small part of the story. Mm-hmm. And then you have others where it's, it's a huge part it's of it. A, it's a yeah. huge part of the storytelling. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's one of the first things that I kind of um, ascertain when I'm reading a new novel is how mm-hmm. much, what is the magical system? How well is it explained or defined? And how yeah. big of a part of the story is it? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, obviously, if I'm reading a fantasy novel, I, I'm there's going to be some kind yeah, of yeah. supernatural. Otherwise, I'm like, like you said, reading, just yeah. reading historical fiction. However, yeah. at the same time, I think um, I like historical fiction, too. I, I yeah. do. I yeah. do. Um, you know, at the same time, it can be a crutch, I think, in storytelling and finding mm. the balance. It's tough. Um, yeah. You know, it's magic has got to be used to further the story and make it more about the characters and um yeah and i think that's one of the particular challenges obviously that genre is how do you do that you know and 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 do it in a way where it's it is fun it is entertaining it doesn't rob you of the story because obviously there's a lot of danger and and we're really kind of talking about you know some kind of general stuff here but there's obviously a danger in any kind of fantasy novel of you you know there's going to be magic involved because otherwise it's not a fantasy novel right um but, you know, where do you cross that line between, you know, fantasy and, you know, deus ex machina and where you can just save everything by hurling fireballs at your enemies? Like, you know, where do you where do you draw that line? You know, and it can it can get real it, it can get real muddy. I think it takes some real talent to do that in a satisfying way. And I, not I, everyone does. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And I think it comes down to does the author have something they're really trying to say and they're using magic as a tool to tell that story yeah um versus just kind of throwing it out there um because i know in cool. sci-fi yeah. you know they call it a uh, space porn where it's like yeah. <laughs> this is just about spaceships there's no point to it there's no character development really mm-hmm. it's really just like let's talk about stuff blowing up in space yeah. you know and i don't know if there's a if it's like elf porn or magic porn that we <laughs> but it's the same yeah, thing no, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's is there a story behind this and other characters that are like interesting and growing behind it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
yeah, that's that's one of the first things I kind of look for when I'm yeah when I'm reading it. And I don't have a sense yet, you know, because obviously we're in the very beginning. I don't have a sense yet of what that's going to be like in this world. So, you know, because and to his credit, I think if you if you lay all that stuff out there from the beginning and first chapters, he's in the wizarding school and he's taking his wizarding tests. Right. You know that. Um, you know that to me, you better really pull something off there. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, yeah, I don't really have a sense yet of what that's going to be like. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're, and we're kind of moving on a little bit, and we move on to um, chapter four titled Halfway to Noir. Um, I think, I think that's how the town is pronounced. Sounds good. Um, Sounds right. All right, we're going to go with that then. Yeah, yeah. So Chronicler is tromping along. At this point, he's probably kind of pissed that he lost his horse and he's not so probably got blisters. So, yeah, no, not so chipper about it. And he uh, runs across a redhead at a campfire. Yeah, mm. and um, quite quick, quickly they fall into danger. And um, yeah, I love that interaction. That was great. That was good. You know, it was like you like get in here, you idiot. You know, <laughs> you know. Chronicler is. Absolutely zero help at all, and no, not. gives himself a concussion. <laughs> yeah, himself twice. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's pretty funny, and um, you know when Gavoth says to him or Cote, whoever we're going to call him now, when he says to him uh, that there are demons, and you can just hear him, you can hear his eyes rolls off the off the page. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. This again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no such thing as demons, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and then these things come out of the wood, you know, the three foot wide, you know, spiders with no eyes and no brain inside them. Um, but um, and then they all die, and it, I was really surprised by that. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised that they all died. Really? Yeah, I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. I really didn't expect. It. So, I mean, I guess the podcast is over because everyone's dead. Oh, you mean the people die? I thought you meant you were surprised <laughs> that the spiders died. I was like, really? That would have been no, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, that didn't so, work at all. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Quoth kicks the spiders' ass because clearly, you know, obviously, yeah. Um, but um, it's not easy for him, and he's pretty banged up. And I, I just loved it, you know the end where he's he chronicler wakes up and he's like, oh, good. Now you can help me dig this giant pit because I'm mm-hmm. I'm covered in blood and lacerations and yeah. Chronicler then just passes out again and Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And uh Quoth picks himself up and starts starts digging anyway and then carries him home on his lacerated shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which is uh so you so you get the idea like, okay, this guy is is pretty badass. Um Yeah. And this is where the wood thing comes up again where he talks about there are two types of wood, Rowan and I Rowan forget, and um, Ash, Ash, I think. Yeah. yeah. And um and he, and he brings up this is where he talks about the children's song. Again. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, so this is now you know like the a couple of different references we've had to different types of wood and and some something behind some degree of ritual. You know, one of the things we forgot to mention, but it makes sense to bring it up here too, is that when they were examining this, um, what's it called, the scrail? Scrail? Scrail. Yeah. Yeah. When they were examining this, what the spiders are called, and they were examining him in the inn, and he kind of stabbed him with the iron. That, you know, it began to smoke and, and all yes. of that. And so you get a sense that there's something kind of, you know, in the background there. You know, what that is, you don't really know yet. But there's something going on with the wood, the iron, something to do with religion. One of the guys references that Chronicler's iron ring, like the the robbers don't take it from him because he says, I'm not going to come between a man and his religion. Yes. 
you know, and so iron pl- plays some degree of importance in this, right? You know, but we don't really know quite what it is yet. And again, that's very kind of standard fantasy fare: the idea of of the supernatural reacting poorly to iron, or some kind of metal, or yeah, some kind of metal, you know. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting to point out as well. Yeah. The, so the the most interesting thing to me about this chapter is that there is one one of these Skrael who show up in chapter one, and then in chapter three, um, Kote goes out, talks to the smith, gets his heavy aprons and gloves, and then he shows up, lights this giant fire, and it's just a, a degree of premeditation that was sort of interesting to me. And what wasn't clear was did he did he light a giant fire because he knew it would attract them? Well, I believe that gets answered in chapter five. The, okay, I don't. Um, okay, I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to chapter five. So chapter five, titled Notes, and mm-hmm. I do I love the chapter titles that yeah, yeah. that he that he came up with for this, but um, yeah, in chapter five, um, Cote comes back with Chronicler, mm-hmm. and uh, Bast confronts him, and he's all ticked off because uh, he woke up you to a note. You left me a note. You left me a note. What am I, some dockside whore? <laughs> oh, if I had a penny for every. <laughs> Every time I had to scream Every that. Every time I had to scream that. Um, so yes, he Bast is is pretty ticked off that yeah. um, that Quoth went off and um, you know let left him there to keep him safe. But mm-hmm. and he mentions so he he figures out pieces together that he went out there and went after them. Yeah, yeah. And then he mentions that um, that he figures out that Cote must have saved a piece of the scrail yeah. and that's what he was burning. Um, because it, in the previous chapter, yeah. when Chronicler approaches the fire, he smells something horrid and he, he thinks to himself, I don't want anything to do with whatever's being burned over there. Yeah, correct. Um, well, and also in chapter, I forget which one it was, but Bast, you know, when when um, when Bast is confronted with the reality of the scrail, he kind of goes through the list. Did you do this? Did you do that? Right. You know, he says, and you made sure nobody kept any souvenirs. Like he really goes through that. Right. Right. And um, Cote lies to him and says, no, I'm not an idiot. Right. You know, but he did. Right. So he did. Get, why Why in the world would he do? So that that's still like that's still a mystery that I don't quite. I'm sure that it'll become obvious, but I haven't quite wrapped my head around. So, you know, I was under the impression that he somehow knew that they were going to be there or that he went out to light a fire to bait them because it was a big fire. Right. Um but you're saying he kept it and then he went out there and burned it. But there's nothing yet that would tell us why he would do something like that. So, Right. And I, I think that's definitely a, a clue that you can file away as far as Cote's yeah. character and that this whole interaction and in that he lied to what seems like the person who was closest to him yeah. without even kind of batting an eyelash and then really shows no remorse for any of that yeah and it's kind of it, even is kind of like are you really even mad about the lie or or is it something else you know to him it that doesn't that seems like that was a morally sound decision um, yeah it does yeah you're right he doesn't him. he doesn't bat an eye at it yeah and we and i think we learn more about his demeanor in the last chapter we covered chapter six 
Um, and I guess I have to say, here is where when I, the little bit I've heard, oh, everyone's like, oh, I love Quothe, or Quoth. You know, oh, he's so such a great character. I really anticipated this very cocky Mary Sue type of good at everything character. I don't know why, um, but I just sort of anticipated that. And so my introduction so far, you know, particularly in the first four chapters, has been that that's not at all what this character is like. But then in five and six, you can see the armor crack a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And in, in six is when Chronicler comes in and meets uh, Quoth in the in the inn and and confronts him and says, you know, I've been looking for you. I can't believe you're actually here. And then really kind of baits him into agreeing to sit down and tell a story. Yes. You know, he plays him. He really kind of plays, and he plays on his um, his pride mm-hmm. or his, you know, He's like they're going to tell your story wrong, you know. They're going to they're going to say it wasn't you were it wasn't even real, you know. Mm-hmm. And he really plays on that to get him to kind of open up and now you you start to see a little bit of the of a different part of mm-hmm. of this character, yeah. Well, and another uh theme in this book that um that comes up a lot is um the importance of names. And yeah. um I don't know if you you caught that in chapter 1 um when it introduces you to Kote, it specifically says that he had chosen that name for himself and he had chosen that particular name for a reason when he moved to that town. Mm -hmm. So that's just something to kind of um, keep in mind. Um, It's an interesting theme to kind of watch develop um, that that taking of a new name make basically makes you someone else. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yo, know, and he's also very particular with the chronicler. He wants to know what his name is. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you know, so there's def yeah, there's some power there. And so then the the last line of chapter six of the last chapter mm-hmm. um, that you read is um, is talking about that, I believe, talking about that name. And I had it right here. Um, then again. He made a gesture as if to show how useless words were. You are Kvothe, quoth. Mm-hmm. In my head, that's how I've always said it four times through this book, so it's really hard to relearn it. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to try. Yeah. You are Quoth. The man who called himself Cote looked up from behind his bottles. A full lip smile played about his mouth. A spark was kindling behind his eyes. He seemed taller. Yes, I suppose I am, Quoth said, and his voice had iron in it. And I think that's just a very, that's just such a telling passage right mm-hmm. there, talking about names, you know, and him having someone say his name out loud and remind him who he was and how he almost seemed to change exactly in that, in that, in that moment. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind with this book. Um, yeah. Crazy Martin is talking about themes and stuff. That's right. Didn't know this is going to be like an educated analytical podcast. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) Let's give it some time before we, we can't get cocky in episode one. We Dude, we are up after 11 o'clock on a Monday night. It, well, we're up after 11 o'clock on a Monday night in the teeth of the storm. In the teeth of the storm. School is already canceled. Yeah, this, so this is the, just to put this in perspective in the real world, to take you completely out of what we just spent 45 minutes talking about. 
the um yeah we're on the precipice of the big huge nor'easter of march 2017 <laughs> it's the middle of march and we're going to get hit by this massive storm tomorrow that i still think is going to only be two inches but everybody else says it's going to be 10 so you call your predictions now <laughs> speaking of predictions now would be a good time for me to make predictions about what i think yes, is going to happen predict stuff of course, I I shouldn't have brought that up because I don't have any predictions off the top None? of my head. Not Zero? immediately. No, the only I say the only prediction I can think of. So we know um, that Quoth is going to spend three days telling this guy kind of his story. Right. Um, my my only kind of thing I can think of that's a prediction right now is that Quoth is going to be kind of a dick. Really? What makes you say that? I feel like there's going to be, not that I think he's not going to be heroic or epic, but I just feel like there's going to be a part of him that's going to be kind of a jerk. All right. We'll see. We'll see. So what kind of things do you think he's going to do or or talk about? I don't know. I got the impression, like, they talk about him humming and singing. Mm -hmm. So I get the impression, and they talk about the power, I think, of stories or Mm -hmm. how much he knows stories. So I get the impression that... This guy was some sort of like a bard or something like that mm-hmm. where he went around and or that was a big part of his character that he mm-hmm. um, somehow used music and sound. And oh, and, and that reminds me. So we're in the bar and we're kind of going back here, but we're in the bar and he gets kind of angry and a bottle just shatters near him. Yes. But not like one that he didn't do anything visibly to it. It just sort of shattered. Right. As a part of his kind of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about the shattered rocks and mm-hmm. when the when the one traveler kind of confronted him about it. So that leads me to believe that's part of what his kind of powers are. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a, that's, com- that's not relevant to what you're talking about. But yeah, I d- so I don't really, beyond the musical and the storytelling kind of side to it, I don't really know what else he would do do um he talks about people having like you know enemies that are after him and who would want to seek him out um and he's trying to hide kind of in his own land so i don't know maybe he's you know maybe he's one of these like almost robin hood kind of heroes and i don't mean and i mean that in that he's kind of a hero but he's also you know, making enemies of people who are powerful mm-hmm. and maybe not necessarily all the bad guys, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like um, maybe he's a little bit of an outside the law kind of guy, but that's, I really, really don't know. Mm. Really don't know. Um, there's clearly something behind the L. They don't just show up for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there has, to, in my mind, there has to be some, there's only one of two things. Either there's some greater intelligence and there's some kind of wizard, bad guy, or somebody out there who's directing that, or it's more of like a um it's more like a Saruman type situation where he just create there's somebody out there who's just kind of creating these monsters and just being reckless about it. Mm-hmm. Which um I don't I don't think that's gonna be the case. So well, and I think at one point uh, there's a line where, where Bast says something to to the effect of, I, I didn't think they could have made it over the mountains yet. So this yeah. is something that's a problem kind of far away. And um, 
but but there's a sort of a sense of inevitability that that these things are going to yeah keep and, coming and we have the idea of there being a war which we talk about about the you know the king needing horses so it causes me to wonder you know was this guy fighting was he like one of the big heroes of some war and then the war is not over and he just decided to kind of run mm-hmm. you know he decided you know i've done all i can do i'm just i'm tired i'm hanging up my my sword calling it folly and i'm going to polish my bottles mm-hmm. you know and and does he get roped back into it as a part of this and remind himself of who he is and now go back out to kind of fight it um i don't know these are kind of these are the the things that i'm i'm kind of guessing at at this point but that's that's really about all i can can kind of think of i still think crazy martin's going to play a role (laughs) and he's not digging that well for no reason there's a reason why that well's being dug (laughs) so so tell me what do you think uh is the the future for for bast and chronicler and what how do you think those guys are going to play into the story well i my thought is that they'll probably end up kind of like i kind of you know you kind of see them as the on the road duo all right it's time to time to close down the inn and go go out and and kill some scray out i you know i don't really know i I tend to think that they specifically demonstrated how strong bast was for a reason Mm -hmm. you know that there's a reason why they they did that um not just for funsies you know patrick rothfuss put that in for a reason you know what reason that is i don't i don't know yet mm-hmm. yeah, i don't know yet so what, what would you say of the the chunk that we read this first 50 or so pages what what did you like about it what if anything did you not like about it um the i would say there wasn't anything in particular i didn't like which is probably a good sign for me because i can i can be easily annoyed and pretty mm-hmm. nitpicky about things mm-hmm. um so there wasn't a part that i didn't like mm-hmm. um i i think the last chapter where um, he was getting kind of so angry and worked up that conflict between Chronicler and him mm-hmm. was probably the part I liked the least, mm-hmm. which is not to say that I didn't like it. Um, it was just probably the part I liked the least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I kind of enjoyed it all. I was very perplexed as to, and I, I think, you know, that's going to happen. You're too early in the story, but I was very perplexed as to, how he knew to go out there and light that fire and attract him. I thought, may, are these like, you know, like the most badass moths you've ever seen and I'm just going to light a big-ass fire and attract them <laughs> to me? And, and maybe maybe then they won't keep killing, uh, you know, the uh, the farmer sheep. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, that's what I'm thinking. You know, but obviously it's it sounds like it's more deliberate than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I answered your question yeah, or not. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I'd have to say I really loved that last scene where finally he's, you know, admits who he is and, you know, and, yeah. he, and he kind of starts to come back to himself a little bit. And I, I loved that, just that conflict, um, you know, when you've got this character who has, seems to have lost something, lost a sense of himself. And I think yeah. that's something that everybody can relate to. And how is he going to find himself again? Um, yeah, and, and Cote does seem to be more subdued. Mm-hmm. Like he's subdued. He's, he's happy to polish his bottles and kind of get away and listen to the stories and relax. And you know, 
doesn't doesn't seem particularly pressed to do anything. So therefore, not the kind of guy you want to lead, you know, a big fantasy novel, right? Um, and Cavote doesn't quote. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a hard time with oh, that. Oh, we are. Um, he doesn't seem like that kind of character at all. You know, seems very different from the Cote that we were introduced to in the literally seconds that we kind of get exposure to him. Right. Um, so, you know, what that all means, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and there's even a, a a comment that one of the other characters makes, and I, and I think it's um, when they're hanging bringing in the the sword mount Mm -hmm. um that kote looked different than when he moved to the town and that his eyes had changed color and his hair had changed color and that he seemed washed out yeah his hair wasn't as red i remember them bringing that up yeah so there seems to be even some sort of physical reaction to him whatever has gone on with him Um, well and and at this stage in a fantasy novel you know we really can't rule anything out right you know i mean maybe cote is like you know five foot ten and and quote is six foot eight for all i know i mm-hmm. you know, i don't i don't know it said he stood taller i i, I took it not to be that literal but right. um but i just don't know that we can really rule anything out right at this stage but again yeah i i think i i'd have to say the themes of of the names of things and um you know self-identity um seem to be kind of really important at this stage in the story so it'll be interesting to see how they they develop and um and to see what where the character goes from there. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that to the same I mean, when you brought it up I'm like, yeah, you're right. That is that definitely is something that was, you know, brought up in the very 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 beginning and I tend to like to look at, you know, the very first paragraph of the prologue, the very first paragraph of it, of the first chapter. You know, usually those decisions that are made right there at the absolute beginning tell you a lot about where the story is going to go. Um, and I could probably go back and reread those a little bit more carefully. Obviously, they talk about the silences and things. That's obviously important. Mm-hmm. Don't know yet how it quite bears into that. But, you know, they talk about Cote and the silences and, and the biggest silence being him. And maybe it's just the silencing of Quoth. Mm-hmm. Is the is the is the big silence there? It's, Ooh, you know, that gave me chills. This kind of this sort of um, almost spiritual, I guess it's like um, remission. Mm-hmm. You know, like the spiritual remission of this this person, Kote, who has this much greater spirit inside of him that he's just not letting out. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, that's kind of the sense I get. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So good talk. Good talk. About chapters one through six. I liked it. And next week we get to really kind of dive into the story. Yeah, chapter seven through 13. Um, and we'll get probably get a little bit more backstory and mm-hmm. a little bit more framing, which is good. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Yep. Um, and so... Um, uh, well, again, you can um, find us um, if you're on the website at... On the internets. On the interwebs. The webs, do people yeah. still say that? Well, we do. I'm always so behind in my lingo. I'm sure we're not up on our lingo, but I don't really care. 
I don't care about that. You can find us on the interwebs. Yeah. Um, blogs and various things at the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. That's right. Uh, Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. That's and right. Twitter at the D and D podcast. Yeah, we couldn't get all three of them the same. So you're just gonna have to listen to this. You will. Every time. Every time. Every And damn don't time. expect us to talk about D and D. But we might actually. We might. It could Never happen. mind. You should actually probably actually, totally expect us to talk about. Probably D&D. gonna happen. <laughs> we have a pretty wicked campaign going on actually right now with our four children. <laughs> well, two of them anyway. Shush! Our five-year-old plays a mean dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> she is a mean dwarf. <laughs> she is. It's very she's easy for very her. Very mean. <laughs> God, she's mean. Um. So next week, chapter 7 through 13, I think we already mentioned that, but it could bear to be mentioned again. And last but not least, very important, don't forget to leave us a great review on iTunes, on Stitcher. We'll probably do some of the other podcast apps that are out there as well, Um, Google Play and uh, the Google Play Store. And then I'm hearing about Spreaker and Overcast. I don't know a lot about them yet, but those are things I will definitely check out. And by the time you actually hear this, we might already be up and active on those. Um, but um, the iTunes and the, what's the other one, the big one I'm thinking of? Um, Stitcher. Those two are, are going to be absolute definites. Um, we are going to try to release these podcasts, try to release these podcasts once a week. Um, we don't really know yet what our routine is going to be. We don't really know yet, like, what days that we're going to release them. So this is all still very, very new to us. Um, But we're going to try to get into some kind of rhythm. Um, We're thinking it's going to be once a week. Let's do it on Friday. That's a good day for a podcast. And then we can get it out on, like, Sunday or something by the time we edit it. It podcasty. Okay. I'll I'll go with that. (laughs) I'll go with that. So should we shut up now? I think we should. We should I, I think it only goes down from here. I think that's a fair point. <laughs> so thank you for listening to the Duke and Duchess Yay. podcast. I'm Chad. I'm Liz. <laughs> and I guess we're off with 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 that whimper. <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs>